Hello, and welcome to the Deduction, a Tax Foundation podcast. My name is Jesse Suisse, Communications Manager here at the Tax Foundation. Uh, we just had an election recently in this country and in states across the country. We're going to break that down a little bit with our senior policy analyst, Garrett Watson. Garrett, how are you? Doing well. How are you, Jesse? I'm doing well. That's great. Um, we could spend all day talking about each election if we wanted to, but let's just get into broad pictures here. From a policy perspective, because that's what we talk about here at Tax Foundation, tax policy What's the takeaway from the midterms? Right. So there's a lot that we uh, I think we can take away from this and still some unknowns left. Right. So big picture right now, as of right now, uh, it appears the Democrats have uh, taken the Senate. Uh, they've captured about uh, 50 seats uh, mm-hmm. with Republicans at 49 seats, uh, though, of course, there remains, uh, like in the last cycle, a runoff in Georgia that will determine the last seat uh, in the Senate. Uh, but it does look like Democrats will will keep that uh, that edge there. Uh, and then on the House side of things, Republicans did have uh, a, a few pickups. They managed to take the House. Uh, it's still uncertain about uh, the exact margin, most likely somewhere mm-hmm. between two and five seats. That hasn't been officially called yet, but uh, appears to be the way we're going. So we're going to see in the next two years um, some divided government. And of course, with that comes uh, some changes in, in policy. Uh, of course, the last two years, we've seen uh, a big focus by the Democrats to enact uh, and uh, their preferred policies, both on the tax side and in terms of spending. Uh, that's going to change in the next two years as we see uh, divided government. Uh, and of course, there are other transitions that are worth noting, right? A lot of the um, uh, committee chairs are going to be uh, rotating off or retiring. We have a lot of uh, folks leaving at the end of this cycle. And some of the folks on the tax planning committees are leaving too. We're going to see some new folks on the Ways and Means Committee, particularly amongst mm-hmm. Republicans. And that will uh, mean there's going to be some interesting dynamics on leadership elections and a lot of education to be done on tax policy uh, next year on the Hill as some folks who had previously not been uh, in tax, uh, get their their opportunity to uh, start working on, on those issues. Not only do we have a change in Congress, but we have you know, change in leadership within the Congress too. Um, tight ropes that the Biden administration is going to have to walk through and things we'll need to watch closely. But we still have the current Congress in right now. Uh, their session's not over yet. We are now approaching what they call the lame duck, uh, where they try to get all these last minute priorities signed into law before these members who are retiring or lost re-election leave. Uh, what do we think is going to happen between now and January 3rd or whenever the next Congress takes over? Right. So the next few weeks between now and the end of the year are commonly known as the lame duck period for Congress. And it's the last, last work session that folks have before going on the holiday break. And then we see the new Congress sworn in on January 3rd of next year. One big topic that comes up every year, it's a perennial topic of discussion here at the Tax Foundation, is the topic of tax extenders. Tax extenders. Uh, and extenders, uh, for folks who are unaware, is basically a... Uh, continuing uh, program of temporary uh, tax provisions, often very narrow uh, tax uh, deductions or tax credits, other tax incentives uh, for specific types of behavior, specific industries that uh, come up for a vote to be extended either every year or every couple of years, depending on what's actually coming up. Uh, And this year uh, is no different. There will be uh, a bunch of different uh, incentives uh, that are going to be considered. Uh, everything from various uh, incentives uh, for racehorses to uh, to race cars, to a few other things uh, that are of interest. Although it is a smaller package of extenders this year, and that is notable because the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed uh, out of Congress and signed into law uh, earlier in the summer, made permanent a lot of the a lot of the green energy tax credits that otherwise would have been part of a tax extenders package. Mm-hmm. So that means that this package is a bit uh, smaller on the extender side than otherwise would be. But a big complicating factor is there are a few different provisions that were established in the 2017 tax law, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, that either have expired or will be expiring. 
uh, that are important that uh, we can get into more detail on what they are. But basically, Congress will have to deal with that. And, and there's a potential for a deal as to whether or not we want to cancel some of those expirations and, and deal with them. Mm-hmm. Though that's going to come with some political dynamics, too, um, on the back and forth of what that deal might look like. Yeah. And often when we talk about these extenders, what usually happens is it Congress in these last few months or last few weeks just say, let's just change the date and call it good? Or do they change it plus some tweaks to the actual policy itself? Is it Do they do reforms with extenders, or is it usually just changing the date and kind of kicking it down the road? Yeah, for the most part, uh, most of the time, it's a decision about whether or not uh, these extenders are going to be extended or, or expire. There have been cases where uh, certain provisions and incentives have been allowed to expire, and we actually expect that to happen now if there are remaining, for example, uh, COVID relief. Uh, there's still a little bit out there that's left mm-hmm. uh, that will uh, potentially um, either uh, expire or be allowed to have, um, to not be renewed at the end of the year. Uh, uh, one thing we, of course, try to encourage policymakers to think about uh, in the context of extenders is uh, the importance of permanence. Because even if you do reform an extender and it's improved in terms of its design, if it's only extended for a year or two, uh, that produces a lot of uncertainty for folks uh, that could be better uh, resolved if it was made permanent. Uh, and the other uh, issue has come up a lot, less so this year, but in the past, is we actually have retroactive uh, extension of extenders, meaning you may have an extender that expired two years ago that they're going to not only extend into the future, but extend uh, in the two years in which it was expired, mm. which is, uh, uh, of course, people can't go back in time and change their behavior. So it's just a pure you know, uh, tax uh, benefit for them without actually creating any benefit to the economy. So thankfully, we've seen less of that so that there's progress there. But there still remains, you know, 12 to 20 different provisions, mm-hmm. give or take, that could be extended this year that um, Congress have to deal with. And quickly on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, because I know you mentioned that, too. Uh, there's a lot of upcoming moving targets for what's expiring there. Um, do you know off, your top, off the top of your head what is like on the ticking clock this year, what come year end is expiring if Congress doesn't take action? Right. So there's one major provision that expires uh, at the end of this year, uh, effectively phases down, and that is the 100% uh, bonus depreciation that was established in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And what that does is it allows firms to take a new investment uh, of, of short-lived assets. So say something like an investment in uh, you know refurbishing a, uh, a structure that they own or investing in some machinery and equipment uh, to produce uh, more stuff. Uh, that uh, right now allows them to fully and immediately deduct the cost of that investment at 100%. Hmm. Next year, it doesn't go away completely. It phases down to 80%. What that means is they'll be able to deduct up to 80% immediately of the value of that new investment. The remaining 20%, they have to drag on those deductions over time. And as we've talked about the podcast a lot <laughs> and elsewhere in our work, we think there's an economic drag to that. Uh, hmm. And it's particularly bad timing given the economic uncertainty right now uh, and uh, the need for um, some stability in tax policy would go a long way if we could make that 100% bonus uh, permanent. Uh, the two other things that are worth, also worth noting, big picture, are actually provisions that expired at the beginning of this year. So one is uh, uh, under prior law uh, before this year, uh, firms were able to uh, immediately deduct uh, fully the cost of R&D uh, investments, which is a pretty big di- item of discussion uh, in the context of uh, economic competition with other countries, right, and innovation in the U.S., Starting this year, companies will now have to deduct those costs for R&D over five years. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to point out, because this has come up in the press a lot, actually, in the last uh, few months, that we're not talking about the R&D tax credit. That's mm-hmm. a totally different thing. It's on top of all of this. Uh, you still get the credit for our R&D uh, expenses. But we're making the deduction for those expenses. Uh, the treatment is worse. So they'll have to drag on those deductions over five years. 
Uh, and that actually counteracts the benefit of the credit, right? You're going to get this credit, but then you have this problem of deducting these costs over five years. Fairly unusual tax treatment in the context of both our history and inter internationally. Most countries allow for immediate, immediate uh, expensing. I feel like you're making the case there for you know, simplification of the tax code overall. Yeah, it would go a long way. Uh, and then the last one I mentioned briefly is uh, there was uh, basically a limitation on how much net interest you can uh, deduct if you pay interest uh, uh, as a company. Uh, from your tax returns. So if you finance an investment using debt, uh, you, of course, pay interest on that debt. You could deduct uh, some of those interest costs uh, from your uh, from your tax bill. Uh, starting this year, uh, that uh, limitation will be made tighter than it was last year. Uh, and um, and so that's another, another item that I think will have to be grappled with. Uh, big picture, though, I think there's some potential for a uh, bipartisan deal on some of these issues. The big challenge of writing all of it is uh, it's possible that some policymakers will want to see social policy thrown mm -hmm. in here, and, and we can chat about that too. But um, it'll make for a very interesting lame duck session this year. Yeah, and of course, I mean, so just looking big picture too, you know, you have your Kevin Brady's retiring. They probably have things they want to get passed before they're gone out of Congress. But you also have your Nancy Pelosi's who are about to give up leadership. They also have things they want to get done before the next Congress. And bluntly, not everything's going to be taxes. They're going to do a want to want to do a lot. Some things are going to have to be dropped if they want to get anything past at all, is there anything you fear might be put on the back burner in the lame duck that should really be a priority for Congress? Or do you think from what you're hearing, they might be on the right track here? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. Of course, in addition to extenders uh, and other uh, legislative agenda items that individual members are interested in, there's also just a broader uh, two uh, major items that come up, uh, it seems to be every six, six to 12 months now, which is, of course, government funding in terms of approving the uh, the uh, appropriations for spending uh, every year. Uh, that has to be finalized uh, either at the end of this year or beginning of next year. I think they have a little bit of runway beginning of next year if it's not done. Uh, so we'll have to see about that. Uh, uh, and then the second thing, more urgent more urgent situation that might cause issues next year is the, the debt ceiling. So this mm -hmm. is actually something that's come up uh, many times over the last few years and um, has actually led to uh, uh, more severe crises in the past, particularly in uh, in 2011 and 2013. Could you quickly um, define the debt yes. ceiling? Yes. So, so the debt ceiling is basically a uh, uh, something in law that basically creates a ceiling or a maximum on the amount of federal debt the federal government can um, can take on. So the U.S. Treasuries that the uh, Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department, you know, issue out, uh, how much is outstanding on that, right? And so there's a there's a cap for that. The problem is if you hit that cap and you have a net deficit, right? Uh, remaining, which you would because we're spending more than we take in in any given month in any given year, uh, all of a sudden we can't repay uh, the debt that is owed right now because mm -hmm. uh, we're rolling that debt over, right? So think about like, you know, one way to think about it in your personal life is if you have a, a credit card that you uh, are in debt to uh, and you're you're still spending more than you bring in. So how do you how do you pay off that credit card payment every month? Well, you could get a personal loan somewhere else to pay off the credit card. Mm -hmm. That's basically what we're doing with a lot of our debt, rolling it over. The problem with the debt ceiling is if it's allowed to um, to take effect without changing your spending habits, all of a sudden the credit card payment comes due mm -hmm. and you just default. And uh, defaulting is bad in your personal life. For a uh, sovereign country like the U.S., it could be disastrous uh, because uh, that could uh, severely complicate people's confidence in um, the ability of the U.S. to repay its its debt in the future. Mm -hmm. And so that that's probably unlikely and it's a tail risk, but it's something that if, if it's not dealt with, uh, could become an issue if it's if if it's allowed to get to that point. Um, the big discussion, more concretely, right now, is whether or not that'll be dealt with in the lame duck if Democrats uh, and Republicans come together to raise the debt ceiling uh, to a point where it's you know 
uh, once again at a point where it'll be dealt with in the future. Or if it's kicked down to next year, and the complicating factor is will Republicans have votes in the House to uh, to deal with it then? The alternative out of the morass, of course, is to deal with your spending and get your spending in line. But if anything, that's actually even harder than, than this debt ceiling situation. That would... I'm sure there's probably political differences, too, between the parties and how to approach the debt ceiling in general. Um, so with a divided government coming up, it's probably not going to be as easy right. to fix as we'd like it to be or, you know, assume it would be for something as big as that. Right. And, and for folks who are want to use the debt ceiling as a leverage point, I mean, their argument uh, to, to represent that in good faith is that, hey, like we have the spending problem and we keep kicking it down the road uh, and we, we keep extending the debt ceiling. And, and that doesn't incentivize us to actually deal with the spending problem. Mm -hmm. And so what they want to see is some credible commitment to reducing spending to put us on a more uh, sustainable fiscal path and think that this debt ceiling discussion could be a good way to do that. The challenge is it's hard to, of course, um, in these discussions, judge, uh, you know, who is using it as a leverage point for um, either for rhetoric or to um, <laughs> to uh, engage in these discussions in good faith and who uh, who is it. Right. And, and, and what that means is there's a lot of not a lot of trust on this topic and it makes it a particularly hard <laughs> leverage point for folks to deal with, because, um, of course, you know, as is true more generally, making this decisions in crises, particularly self-manufactured crises, can be worse than making decisions in a more, you know, longer term, um, uh, less heated uh, situation. So I think that's that's the the risk is it, um, it it may not work. And of course, we saw that ten years ago, right? When we saw the debt ceiling discussions, then there were some attempts to try to constrain spending through some of the caps that were imposed on Congress uh, during the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. Didn't work long term. Mm -hmm. So we may have to try something different to get our, our spending under control. So a lot of big decisions be made in the next coming weeks, and they might not all come to fruition, or they might because uh, Congress is. Dramatic in December. Um, but we, like we said at the start of this episode, we just had an election. So let's look forward to what the outcome of the election is going to be when it comes to tax policy. Um, start in 2023, got this Republican House, this Democrat Senate, Democrat White House. What do you think a divided Congress means for tax policy? Right. So I, I think one way to think about tax policy at the federal level is that it is it is quite it comes in cycles. Right. So you have what you could call a legislative action phase where and it's mostly in a, a uh, the context of, of, of total political control by one party where uh, the parties are uh, in a situation to, to make, make big moves on policy. Right. We saw this in 2017 with the TCJA. We saw this in 2021 and early and mid 2022 uh, with Bill Out Better and then the Inflation Reduction Act. The second half of that, though, is, you know, what I sort of call the uh, policy ideation phase or the phase in which, um, and there's, there's two, two ways to think about this. One is developing ideas, right? So both Republicans and Democrats think you're going to see um, a renewed discussion about what are the ideas and, uh, that they want to lead with the next time that they have you know, an opportunity to think big picture and reform uh, the tax code in the direction that they'd like to see. Um, and of course, the messaging on how to convince people that that's the right, right, right way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, if we think back in the you know 2013 uh, through 2017 time, there were you know a lot of different ideas on tax policy, big picture ideas came from all over um, the political spectrum, and that was true in 2019 and 2020 as well. Before the Act Better, they're going to see something similar to that on both sides as they think about where tax policy should go uh, from now on. More specifically, the Republican side, I think the big decision is going to be on. Um, we're starting to see discussions about making permanent a lot of the elements of the. Uh, tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, that are going to be expiring, including the individual provisions. Big question mark there is uh, how will that be financed if it will be financed? That's mm -hmm. probably a bigger uh, concern now with interest rates being higher and the debt being uh, more of a concern than it may have been five or six years ago. On the Democratic side, I think a big, uh, uh, on the ideation side, the big question will be 
what did they learn from the failure of a lot of the tax hike ideas that made up Build Back Better, mm -hmm. uh, both in terms of uh, not convincing people that they were good ideas and all the implementation challenges that associated them, even if, if they were uh, convincing to some folks? Uh, and what does that mean for their agenda moving forward? Big question for them, I think, is if they are dead set on building a social welfare state in the U.S. similar to Europe, are they finally going to drop this idea um, that they can only do so by taxing people at the very top? Mm. And I think that's a fundamental question that um, we'll have to see in the next few years uh, if that's something that they want to deal with on the tax side. Um, so th that's the ideation side. And of course, then you have messaging, right? The political mm. battles that surround it. Uh, but of course, there's going to be opportunities for bipartisan um, uh, opportunities here. A big one that might come up sooner rather than later, but could be kicked into next year is, for example, is retirement tax reform, uh, known as uh, Secure 2.0 mm -hmm. or the EARN Act. Uh, right now, there are two different versions of this that basically would uh, modernize and update some of the tax incentives related to retirement. Uh, there's some details that are different between the two uh, sets of legislation in both chambers. They're working right now to try to make them um, identical and so oh, okay. to, to reconcile them. And so the hope is that it gets done in lame duck. But if it doesn't, that is, a, I think, an opportunity for bipartisanship uh, going into the next Congress. OK, yeah. And I think that messaging point that you made is, is critical, because especially when we're dealing with these slim margins, truth of the matter is some members of Congress leave Congress early for whatever reason. Some get tabbed for cabinet positions. Others, you know, you know, they just leave early. So there's even opportunities mid-Congress for Congress to change, uh, which especially if you're trying to do policy quickly, you got to get the messaging out there quickly, too, to make sure your party can retain that seat of position if things were to change. Right. Um, Garrett, I know it's a busy week here at TF. I know you're a busy man. Uh, so I guess my last question for you, uh, let's pretend a freshman member of Congress gives you a call. They're like, hey, I want to be smart on tax policy in 2023 is my first term in the U.S. House. What's your advice for me? What's your advice for the new Congress, Garrett? Right. So, so I think there's a couple of things uh, to keep in mind. Um, uh, one is uh, we are uh, surprise, surprise, big fans of neutral, uh, permanent pro-growth tax policy. Mm. And so I think to, to whatever extent we can avoid some of the impulses we've seen sort of on a bipartisan basis for the last few years to pick winners and losers in the tax code and to try to subsidize or penalize very specific activity, particularly um, in a way that's temporary and fairly arbitrary, the better. I think that is often a, you know, a, an impulse that new members may have. Like I can get my... Um, make my mark in this very specific area of tax policy by going in that direction. Uh, but we're fans of actually thinking a little bit bigger and creating a more neutral permanent tax code that would help um, not just on the stability side, but actually have evidence that it would help economic growth. Biggest one that, of course, we point to is uh, the benefit of uh, full and immediate expensing, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, I think has um, pretty strong appeal uh, to folks regardless of, of ideology um, and can be helpful um, in terms of um, fighting against the economic malaise we might be facing next year. Uh, the other one, of course, that I think that's uh, still going to be important and salient next year is, of course, on inflation. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's going to uh, require us to be uh, pretty sober about the trade-offs related to um, uh, spending and, and, and taxing. Uh, I think the um, the era of free lunch uh, politics is probably over, uh, of, uh, of uh, ice cream parties is what I say, which is basically just either, you know spending or cutting taxes without regard to the, the, um, the cost associated is probably going to be uh, from the debt perspective, is probably going to be less likely to happen. So that means there's going to be difficult trade-offs, and we can't shy away from them. And I think people are going to respect members who have uh, who face those head-on and are honest with constituents and uh, Americans about um, uh, why we should go in the direction that they that they're leading us on. Mm -hmm. So excited to see where that goes. And obviously, inflation I think is one of the bigger items where we've seen a lot of rhetoric, but not a lot of um, concrete plans. And it'd be great to see that uh, tackled as well. Uh, so inflation is a tax hike too, and if it keeps at these levels. People aren't going to do 
deal with it, you know? That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, Garrett, great as always. I know we will be talking to you again soon. Uh, thanks again. Thanks, Jesse. 